Bibles, if you would go to Exodus, the third chapter, and if any children are still here, you can go to Children's Church. Oh, what a wonderful Savior. Amen? We want to look at this third chapter of Exodus, and we're going to kind of dig into some thoughts here, so let's allow God to speak to our hearts and glean from this burning bush encounter. The third chapter of Exodus, beginning with verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And at this Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt, and I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue or deliver them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites and Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. And I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I'll be with you. And this will be a sign to you that it is I who sent you. When you brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. I want to use as our title, Drawing Near or the Burning Bush Encounter. Drawing Near or the Burning Bush Encounter. This is the third and final part of the short series. And we've looked at, number one, the, the need for a deliverer. The need for a deliverer. God's people were enslaved in Egypt. They were mistreated. They were oppressed. Pharaoh was trying to murder the male Hebrew babies. And God had heard their cry and God had seen their suffering. And his heart was moved towards their situation. And God decreed his time for deliverance. And so God sent Moses, just like Jesus has sent you and I. As the Father sent me, Jesus said, I have sent you. And therefore, as Christians, why we're called Christ ambassadors. Because we are the ones that God speaks through and He loves through and He reaches out to a hurting world through. Now, before Moses was sent, though, we found out last week that he was prepared. The last time we studied this text was the preparing or the forging of God's vessel. The forging of God's instrument. God uses us as He's preparing to use us. It's something that goes on constantly. And though Moses was raised as a prince, he enjoyed every privilege of royalty. He was educated at the highest levels of his day. Engineering and science and mathematics and astronomy, leadership, military, training. 
But we found out last time that in order to be the Lord's vessel, you need more than earthly training. You need the school of God's Spirit. You see, Moses failed in his first attempt to deliver the people. He failed terribly. And he was forced to flee for his life. And his failure, though, actually drove him to what we call the desert school of the Spirit. Where for 40 years, Moses, um, he learned in solitude and obscurity. Don't waste your desert experiences. Don't waste your desert experiences. Be teachable. Be humble. Receive the hand of God's correction in dealing. But for 40 years, Moses was in the backside of the desert. In obscurity and in solitude. And the discipline of the desert... It sobered him and it tamed him. It humbled him and it broke him. But it certainly matured him and readied him. And when the time had come that God felt, it was time, the time was right, the encounter of the burning bush begins. Now, this is the meeting that precedes the sending. And we can learn much from this encounter. In fact, God desires to meet with you and I in the similar way that he met with Moses. And he met with others in Scriptures. That's a whole series all by itself. How God met with men and women. How he spoke to them. How he revealed himself. How he dealt with them. He does the same with us. Now first, let's briefly touch on three common mistakes. I want you to get this. Is there anyone here? Now some of you maybe know, but I know someone. Is there anyone here that's ever been young and zealous for the Lord? No, some never did, but I know many have. Amen? Some, we're still waiting for you to get that. But anyhow, amen. I won't go down that road. Different sermon for a different day, as we like to say. But, if you've ever been zealous for the Lord, pay attention. God wants to talk to you. I want to briefly touch on three common mistakes the vessel or the sermon of the Lord can make. I gleaned these as I was doing my reading. I do a lot of reading for each message. And um, Chuck Swindoll, Dr. Swindoll, brought out some insights concerning this episode in Moses' life. And it was just so spot on that I said, you know what, if you've ever been young and zealous in the Lord, I think you relate. Three common mistakes that we tend to make. Number one, we, we, we run before we're sent. And we can call that intensity. You see, a younger, more confident, more headstrong Moses, that's what he had done 40 years before the encounter at the burning bush. God hadn't sent him, not yet. But he ran ahead anyway. He took matters into his own hands. Chomping at the bit, straining to get going. That's what we say, some are sent and some just went. But, but here he is. He ran ahead. He, he's running ahead in his own strength before the divinely appointed time. He can't wait for God to set things up. He wants to take the shortcut. He isn't finished with his preparation. We run before we're sent. Then when we, tr- we retreat after we failed. And that's called insecurity. Having run before we were sent, we end up in a ditch. Have you ever been there? Yeah. You ever see a bird that doesn't know the window's there? And it gets, Ever see that? In my younger years, on fire, but not really um, being in the step with the Lord. That, that, that's what I reminded. So finally, my little beak, it smashed against that window so many times. Finally, I said, Lord, I said, I'm, I'm not moving. I am not moving. I had the zeal, had the edge. You couldn't see I was running my little beak into the 
Because people get excited. Listen, I'm not only talking about ministers. I'm talking about young Christians. Because sometimes we get excited about God. We get zealous for God. But we don't wait on God. And we don't allow God to orchestrate timing and maturing. And we run. And then when things mess up, we want to quit. And we don't want to give it a try again. Having run before we were sent, we end up in the ditch. And we experience failure. And we all have. Then we just try to find a place and hide. I mean, I don't want to not be saved. I don't want to go to hell. But, you know, Lord, I, I don't know if I can trust you. Well, You know, failure is tough. But failure is also very human. And if we let it, failure can actually teach us. And God can use it to mature us and mold us. So oftentimes, like Moses, we, we run before we're sent in intensity. We retreat after we have failed. That's called insecurity. Now I'm not too sure. I used to be sure. Now I'm not too sure. I used to be calm. I, mean, I had a vision. I had the dream. I, had a, I don't know anything anymore. And then thirdly, when the time finally does come, we resist when we are called. That's called inferiority. And inferiority and humility are not the same thing. Intensity causes us to run before we are sent. Insecurity causes us to retreat when we fall in short. And that causes us to resist when God actually does call us inferiority. Huh, I've tried that before, Lord. God starts speaking to your heart, and it's been a long time since you heard that voice. Not again, Lord. You look at your spouse, are you sure about this? We did that. Dr. Swindoll writes, because of these misunderstandings, I believe there are many who have not responded to God's call. They look at themselves as not worthy, not able, fearful, but a bit gun shy. But all God asks of you and I is that we be available and burnable. And he'll take care of the rest. Can you say amen? But this is where Moses is at as we read our text. He's feeling a bit insecure and inferior for the job. In fact, he's probably trying to forget that God ever called him. He's probably ever tried. Sometimes it's better forget I even tried. This was such a failure. It was such a disappointment. He probably wished in that chapter in his life just I could blank it out. If I could take part of my mind and get amnesia, I'd take that part out and just never remember it again. And now here comes God, and he's going to start talking about those things. It's like the woman that, that, that didn't have a baby and the prophet said, you're going to have a baby. She goes, don't mess with me, man of God. You're touching on an area that had been hurt. You're touching on an area that I've gone through a lot of pain in and I'd rather just not think about that. Even if it's God, it's going to be good. But no, 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 no. I've been hurt there once and I don't want to. So this is where Moses is at. And now the encounter. Remember now, like... Like God met with Moses, and this is kind of the crux here. Like God met with Moses, He desires to meet with us. Salvation was not merely a fire insurance deal, but it was a reclaiming and a restoring and a a reconciling of our relationship to our Heavenly Father. He shed His blood not merely just to save us from hell, but to make us sons and daughters of God and enable us to enjoy sweet communion. An intimate fellowship with our Heavenly Father. And God calls us and desires for us to come and to commune with Him. Because of the blood of Jesus, the veil was rent. Access is made. 
We have now been qualified by the blood and heaven invites us to come and draw near and commune with our Father and with our God. Hebrews 10 and 22. Hebrews 10 and 22. We hear the Word of God say, let us, just read the first couple parts, let us draw near to God. Previously, they're talking about the blood that was shed and all Jesus had did to make the way. And therefore, therefore, child of God, if you're a Christian, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, full assurance of faith. We think of James that says, if you'll draw nigh to God, He'll draw nigh unto you. You sit at His feet. And the blessings and the benefits are there for all of us that have been saved. They're there for us to enjoy when we draw near to God and we get close to God and we commune with the living God. You see, there's many, many blessings that we forfeit, we ignore. How many times have you seen people, didn't you realize you had that benefit, but you never, you never claimed it? Didn't you realize you could have claimed that, but you didn't even know it was there? Didn't you know if all you had, all you had to do was sign up for that thing? And they would have automatically, I never signed up for that thing. And there are many, many blessings and benefits that belong to the people of God. And some of them will only come through the drawing near and the communing and sitting at the feet of our Savior and our Lord. There are many, many blessings that come responding to the Father's call to come and commune with Him. Let me just give you a few quick ones. Number one, there's revelation. There's revelation. If you will spend time drawing near to God, drawing near to that Word, drawing near your worship and your prayer, God brings revelation into our life. It was Jesus that said, Come unto Me, all you... This is Matthew 11. Come unto Me, all you that labor heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn of Me. And learn of Me. There's revelation and understanding and education that comes to the man or woman that draws near to God. We don't just merely pray, I want to know Thee. We draw near so we can know Thee. And in the drawing near and sitting in His presence and enjoying His Word, revelation comes and you can know personally and intimately the true and living God, your Creator and your Redeemer. Things of this world don't have to be so mystical. You can know God. You can walk with God. Jesus says, if you'll draw near to me through prayer and in the Word, I will teach you. I will educate you. My Spirit will illuminate you. One thing that happens when we draw near, there's a revelation or a learning more about the God we serve and how we can walk effectively with Him. But there's also, I'm going to call it a hydration. Because we all understand about, what's the opposite? Um, dehydration. Amen? When someone gets dehydrated, Hydrated, they get weak. Their thinking gets messed up. Their speech gets a bit slurred. Have you ever seen someone, you look, what's wrong with them? What's wrong with them? Well, they're dehydrated. Oh, they're, they're not thinking right. They're not thinking. Their kind of speech is getting slurred. All the signs of dehydration. Well, many people that don't draw near suffer from spiritual dehydration. But Jesus says, if any man thirsts, this is John 7 37, if any man thirsts, let him come, draw nigh unto me and out of his belly will flow rivers. He says if you learn to draw near to me you can get saturated, you can get refreshed, you can get filled daily, you'll have your strength renewed, you'll have your vision anointed, you'll have your zeal stirred up. There is a place to go where we draw near to the living God and we drink from a river that never runs dry. And those that don't draw near, they start living this Christian life on few 
fumes. It's not an easy life to live on fumes. It's not an easy fight of faith to do it without drawing near and getting filled up and walking in the strength and refreshing that only the Spirit of the Lord can give us. That's why Paul says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled again and again with the Spirit of God. Not so we can act weird, not so we can just be emotional, but we'll have grace and strength to live this life and live it as more than conquerors. Can you say amen? I'm talking about blessings that you got to cash in on. Blessings that came. Are you part of the union? Have you said yes to Jesus? Then you're in the union. And these are blessings that you get as a union member, but they don't come automatic. They're not going to come and give them to you. If you don't take them, you don't get them. If you don't sign up, they're not coming to your door. But if you know what they are, you can claim what you got and walk in the victory thereof. Somebody say amen. Talking about drawing near, there's many, many blessings. If we take time to draw near to God, we learn and get to know God. We know the ways of God. We can be wiser than our enemies. We can have greater understanding. We can have strength and endurance. Again, many Christians, spiritually dehydrated, they lose their vitality. When someone's dehydrated, they don't have no vitality to praise them. Lost their vitality to witness they're not thinking straight. Someone dehydrated. All of a sudden, what's wrong with you? You're not thinking straight. I, some, some old couple, I read it in the paper. I read, always read in the, old, read in the Syracuse paper yesterday. They left New Hampshire. Left New Hampshire to, to meet their, their family at a diner. Wound up 30 miles outside Buffalo. If you don't know New York, Buffalo is the other side. That's five hours away from New Hampshire. Somehow, they're supposed to go to a diner 20 minutes away and have dinner. They, they, I mean, you know, when you, don't, when you get a bit hot, when you sing not working good, amen, on my perception and my decision making and my discernment. Why did you do that thing? It's so dumb. But you haven't been drinking. And you got dehydrated in the spirit. And things got blurry instead of clear. And things you would have been strong and firm about, you got very easy to be overcome in. God calls us to draw near. And sometimes, 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 in His mercy, when we don't have enough common sense to draw near on our own, He'll see us and He'll... Hey! It's been a while since you called Him. It's been a while since you opened that book. Revelation 3 and 20, how John the Apostle, Jesus standing outside the church. It's a whole different sermon. Jesus outside the church, amen? He's asking them to let him in. They're going about their business, singing their hymns, having their Sunday school classes, and Jesus outside. There's something wrong somewhere, amen? But that's another sermon for another day. But Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my... Are you hearing what the Lord talking to you? Are you hearing the Lord tugging on you? Are you hearing the Lord saying that mistake that brought you to that desert place doesn't have to be the last chapter in your book? And though I know you're a little gun shy, and I know that last time you tried, it really didn't work out the way you wish it would have. But God says, if you'll rise up now that I am calling you, if you'll rise up now that the time has come, it'll be a different story this time. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, and if you open the door, I will come in to him. Let's look at this. I will come in to him and dine or sup. I will break bread with him and him with me. Blessings of drawing near is called the communion. 
relationships are greatly enriched when we spend time breaking bread. You know, you can sit by someone for 10 years in the same church, sitting behind each other. And you're cordial, you're casual, very shallow. But you know, if men, if you spend three hours going to some diner, breaking bread, having a meal, having coffee till the waitress kicks you out, you'll your relationship will get deeper and richer in three hours of actually communing and fellowshipping with testifying to one another, getting to know one another, getting to share our background, getting to share the things we have in common. More can take place in three hours of true communion than ten years of just, how you doing? Good to know you. Hi, brother. God bless you. Good night. One of the beautiful things about drawing near It brings us into a richer, deeper place of our relationship with Christ. We really get to know Him when we spend time with Him. We really, now, it's it's not a, it's not a lecture. Now it's a back and forth, and we're talking, and we're communing, and we're sharing. First time you meet someone, you're not sharing everything. Very guarded. Most people are, I certainly am. But the more you're with people, you can share things. And they share things to you. You can talk. If any man hears my voice, I'm knocking. If you'll let me in and you'll learn to draw near, I'll break bread with you. I'll commune with you. I'll take our relationship to a richer and deeper and a much more intimate place. Don't stay shallow in your walk with Jesus. God calls us to draw near. And there's so many blessings and benefits that you and I, that you and I, we have to claim this. We have to respond to this. This won't happen automatically. But if we will, unless we forget that God is not a spiritual ATM. Psalm 95, verses 6 and 7. The Bible says, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, and the sheep, the sheep of His fields. And and we have to remember one thing about drawing near is God, our Creator, God, our Redeemer, desires and asks and calls for our worship. He's more than happy to bless us. He's more than happy to commune with us. But there's one thing from the very beginning. The true and living God yearns for us to draw near and worship and bless His holy name. Don't leave that out of your relationship. It'll skew the thing. It'll, It'll put the thing in a tweak you don't need. But learn how to have some not only communication, but some adoration. And learn to draw near and worship, and love, and praise. Hallelujah. And the last one, the last one is beautiful. We have revelation, and hydration, and communication, adoration, and and perception should be reception. Reception. And there's a receiving where the apostle, well, I should say the author of Hebrews, says, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we might receive help and mercy in our time of need. And the beautiful thing that often we, we run to the wrong place and we look to the wrong people in our time of need. 
But oh, if we would understand as we draw near to God and He draws near to us, that throne is called a throne of grace. And in that place, He will help us. In that place, He will minister to us. In that place, He will counsel us and give us wisdom for the journey. He'll give us strength and healing for our bruises. Oh, I want someone to know if you learn to practice drawing near, Jesus Christ through His shed blood made us acceptable to the Father. The door is open wide. Your Heavenly Father yearns for you to come near and talk and commune and have sweet, intimate fellowship with your God. In that place, you can pour out your heart and He'll pour in His strength. In that place, you can tell Him your problem, tell Him your situation. He'll give you His counsel. He'll give you His wisdom. Don't ever forget there's a place that you can go that others cannot. There's a place that you can tap into that others are not qualified to go to. As a child of God, the throne of God's grace, it's open 24-7 that His people may come boldly or confidently to receive what they need to walk and overcome. Can you say amen? Throne of grace. That throne that speaks of authority, sovereignty, and power. And grace that speaks of generosity and sufficiency and love. And the more we take advantage of this privilege of drawing near, of enjoying and partaking of the blessings and benefits of communion with our God, we'll walk and we'll enjoy. Now let's, let's, over, let's examine Moses now. We said Moses is in a place where he is um, feeling insecure. He's feeling inferior for the job. He's trying to forget that he ever tried. He's trying to knock that part of his life out like it didn't happen. But out of nowhere, that school of the desert, finally God says, it's time. Let's take a closer look at Moses' encounter at the burning bush. Now, many encounters in Scripture that we can learn from. Just think about it. Joshua had an encounter with the angel of the Lord. Boy, there's a lot to learn there. Abraham had encounters. He interceded for Sodom. What, what wonderful lessons there. Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. Oh my, there, there's a lot there's rich stuff. Jacob wrestled with God. There's a lot to learn there. Jeremiah found out that before he was in his mother's womb, God knew him and had a plant. A lot to learn when we study the encounters that men had with God. Paul on that Damascus road, Gideon. Found out, though he felt weak and insecure, God looked at him as a mighty man of valor. This guy was getting ready. It's amazing what we can learn. But let's look at Moses. Number one, what, what Moses saw, what Moses saw, verses one through four. God can take an insignificant bush, ignite it, and turn it into a miracle. And that's what he wanted to do with Moses, and that's what he wants to do with you and I. Moses is just a weak bush. He found that out after 40 years. But God was going to be the empowering fire. By the fire of God, God would enable Moses to carry out the plan and purpose that God had for him. You see, it's just an average, regular, common bush. But now that bush is aflame with God's fire. And it's a glorious thing. It's a miracle. (laughs) It's as God was saying, Moses, you used to think you were something. You're just a weak bush. But my fire is going to consume and come upon you like it is here. And I'm going to show you how I can take an insignificant, common earthen vessel, just a weak bush, and I can ignite it. 
and set it aflame with my power and my spirit and turn it into a miracle and a mighty minister in my hand. And there's an encouragement for us here. Any bush will do as long as I, the great I am, is in the bush. So Moses, get ready. God's saying, I want to use you, so stand still, Moses. And let me set you on fire. <laughs> he later on in the story, he gets, starts to oh, Lord, I can't do it, and send someone else, and, and what if they don't believe me? What should I do? And, and God says, what's in your hand? And he says, a stick, just a shepherd's stick. Throw it down, it became a snake. Pick it up again, it became a stick. And God is saying, listen, Moses, all I need is you. I'll take what you have, whether it's a stick or it's just a few vessels you have in your cupboard, and I'll use what you've got if you'll just give me your life. And we see this here. Here, here it is. Moses sees a burning bush, and he draws over to the burning bush, and God is giving him a symbol. Moses, you're like this bush. There's nothing special about it. This is a common, regular bush, but the fire of God is on it, and now it's becoming a miracle. And I'll do that with your life if you let me. Because before any vessel can truly be used of God, Jesus said, hey, wait till you receive or clothe from power from on high. And when you receive that power, then you're ready to be my witnesses. So once we get the fire, all right, we look at this. Number one, I want you to see in verse four how God calls us and calls Moses into his fiery presence. Verse four, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him within the bush Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Now, God initiates this call. God in 40 years, feeling insecure, trying to forget that chapter in his life. But now the time of God has come, and God's getting ready to recall him. And he don't want anything to do with it. And it begins like this. God calls us into his fiery presence. God initiates the call. He summons his servant. And, you know, we like to control things in our lives. That's why some shy away and draw back when God begins to call us closer and nearer. I don't know about that tongue thing. I don't get myself into the prophetic. I might act weird. What if I... We like, I wanna, God, I want you, but I want to control how I want you. God, you're speaking to me, but... Hmm. I worship you, but Lord, I don't want to get too emotional. If I get emotional, I might not be in control. I but God's presence in our entering to worship Him and draw near cannot always be tamed by our own taste and our determination to control the agenda. And some have missed God's best in their life because you're so adamant that you must control the agenda. You think you would have learned from the first two mistakes that controlling the agenda is usually not the best thing. Follow God and let God work His good works. Amen. Say out. Go ahead. Now, now Dr. Jack Hayford writes about this thought, and he's speaking to men specifically, but he writes here, the man who fears drawing near to the flame of God's Spirit at work, the man or woman here that fears drawing near to the flame of God's Spirit at work will never experience, we're forfeiting, we're rejecting, will never experience the complete burning away of self in a fear 
of timidity, of pride, of that self-consciousness and that need to self-control. For real breakthroughs, life-changing transformations come as the fire of God's presence consumes away the things that hinder and entangle and hold us back. What Moses saw, he saw a bush that wouldn't burn up. What Moses heard, he heard God call him into his fiery presence. He heard the summons of God to draw near. And then he heard the command to remove his shoes and humble himself before the Lord. You see in verse 5, don't come any closer. God said, take off your sandals for the place you're standing is holy ground. It wasn't anything special about the ground until God got there. It was just a desert. But when God shows up, it becomes holy ground. Now it's holy ground. It looks, it's, remove your shoes. Now the issue here isn't bare feet so much as the removal of one's own self-fashioned support. Sure, there's the separation, the purity, the reverence of holy ground. But really what God wanted of Moses and what He desires of us a will to put nothing of our own creation between ourselves and Him. He says, remove your shoes. He says, remove whatever's coming between you and your Lord. Remove what's hindering obedience, what's hindering a full surrender, what's quenching that faith that wants to believe is a part of you that wants to believe, that wants to step out, that wants to dare, but the other part that's been scorned and wounded and defeated that says, never again! And there's this thing going on. And that's why God says, come into my fire presence. And, and, and I see God's fire is perfect in every way. It consumes what needs to be consumed. It heals what needs to be healed. It cleanses it. Oh my! But you got to be able to lay down, the, lay down, lay down. Standing barefoot on the rocky terrain of the desert will also cause a man to walk more cautiously and reverently before God. Let's never be rash or irreverent in the presence of the Almighty. I read a story this week, a true story of a young stranger to the Alps. He's making his first climb in the Alps. He was accompanied by two um, experienced guides, and it was obviously a steep and hazardous ascent. But he felt secure. He had one guide in front of him, one guide following behind him. For hours they climbed, and now finally, breathless, they reached for the rocks that are protruding through the snow above them, the summit, the summit of the Alps. Now the guide ahead of him wished to let the stranger have the first glorious view of heaven and earth, and he moved aside to let him go first. And forgetting the, the, the fierce winds, the gales up there, that would blow across the summit of the rocks. The young man just leaped to his feet. But immediately the chief guide just grabbed him and threw him down. And he said, on your knees, sir. He shouted, you're never safe here except on your knees. There's something about drawing near to the true and living God that requires a sincere reverence and surrender if we're really going to get intimate and really enjoy that foolish, fullest measure of fellowship that He desires of us. But now Moses hears God call him into His fiery presence. God hears in response to the call to take off the shoes and be reverent and totally surrendered before the Lord. 
And now when the conditions for meeting with God have been satisfied, not until. And I would encourage someone, if you're waiting on God for something, make sure you're not the one holding things up. I've seen some people waiting, but if they were honest, there's some things that they, they, they... Now when the conditions for meeting with God have been satisfied, not until then. God says, get those things ready that you need to get ready. And then we'll talk about the next step of the journey. I remember as a young guy, Dad gave me a list of things. Then what? Don't worry about then what. Do what I told you to do. Do it right. And after I inspect it, I'll tell you the next thing. So then what? God says, you don't need to know then what. You need to know. And now when the conditions for meeting with God have been satisfied, now, 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 and only now, God reveals Himself. And God begins to communicate His heart and instruct His servant and reveal His plan and show Him what's going to come next. God reveals Himself. He calls, come here and know Me. In verse 6, He reveals Himself as the covenant God of the past. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm not a new God. I'm not one of the millions of gods that the Egyptians serve. I am the true and living God, the only God. And I am the God that remembers my promises, Moses. That's who's speaking to you. Then verse 7, not only the covenant God of the past, He's the compassionate God of the present. He reveals to Moses, I've seen and I've heard and I'm aware and I do care. And when you get close enough to God, you'll know one thing. He is a God that cares. He is a God that is aware. He is a God that yearns to help and minister. Oh, blessed be His name. And then verse 8, He says, I'm the consummating God of the future because I've come down to set My people free and bring them to the place they desire to be. I'm a God that is at work in the earth and I'm looking for someone to work with Me and I'm looking for someone to say, Here I am, Lord. I'll go before you and I'll work for you. He says, I'm the God of right now, not merely just watching. I'm a God that's doing. I'm a God that's operating in the earth. I'm fulfilling my promises and I'm carrying forth my kingdom and I'm fulfilling and carrying out and reaping my harvest. And God says, I am the God that is coming down to set my people free. And actually, Moses, I'm looking for someone. And I've tagged, you're it. I mean, I'm looking for someone. Do I have any takers that will go? And once, and once there's the response to the call, only then there's a response. Only then there's a surrender. Then, verse 7 and 8, then God calls Moses and you and I to know His heart. To know His heart. God says, you want to know me? Take your shoes off. You want to know me? Surrender your need to be in control. And let me lead you as I desire to lead you. God calls us to know His heart, verses 7 and 8. And notice here, it was in God's presence that Moses learns. We'll learn some things in God's presence. It was in God's presence that Moses learns of God's gentle heart of God's loving concern, of God's compassionate nature, of His desire to heal and to deliver His people. And we need to be in God's presence for the same reason. Our families need men, husbands and fathers, who are regularly saturated and permeated with the love, with the understanding, with the gentleness, with the vision of God Himself. And those things do not come from a shallow relationship. 
They come from intimate fellowship. God calls us into His fiery presence. God calls us to remove our shoes. Get rid of whatever is hindering your walk with God. Get rid of whatever is keeping you from being wholeheartedly in obedience to God. Then God calls us to know His heart. But in that place, God will speak to us. In that place, we'll get understanding of things that we didn't quite understand before. In His presence, something wonderful, something illuminating. The fire that brings heat and consuming also brings light and revelation. The God calls us to know His heart. And then God calls us into our purpose. Verses 9 and 10. Moses, I'm sending you. Moses, I'm sending you. And here we see how God calls His man into His purpose and into His leadership. Listen carefully as I close this, but don't miss this. He says, I'm going to send you, Moses, because you have a role, you have a task, you have a purpose. For Moses, it was a call to lead a nation. Most likely ours will not be so visible, but let us make no mistake about it. We are leaders and we are vessels. And there is no avoiding the fact that people around us will be affected by whether or not we accept our call and purpose and draw near to our Father in His presence. May I say that again? As God calls us, as God reveals to us our purpose as leaders, there is no avoiding the fact the people around us will be affected by whether or not we accept our call and our purpose and practice drawing near to our Father in His presence. Can someone say Amen. Drawing near, or the burning bush encounter. We close like this. Let's respond. Number one, let's respond to the word. Our God calls us and has given us the wonderful privilege of drawing near to his presence and communing with him. Let's be found faithful in this. Let's not forget this. Let's, friends, don't, don't reject the rich blessing that you can partake of. Let's draw near to God and make that a practice in our lives. But secondly, let's recall the lessons from Moses' life. Listen, folks, if you've ever failed, if you've ever fallen short, I mean, failed in sincere effort for the Lord, and somehow you've become gun-shy, insecure, feeling a bit inferior, Maybe if you're honest, you say, I don't know if I trust the Lord. As I did that time, I stepped out of the boat and I sank. It's time to put that behind you. And regardless of the details and specifics of your disappointment or my disappointment, it's time to put that behind us and make a fresh altar of devotion, offering yourself to God to do, to go, and no longer... Be bound by past disappointments and defeat. My prayer as a pastor for everyone from the sound of my voice, I pray you'll come to that place of fresh surrender to God that you will no longer be bound by past 
failures, defeats, and disappointments. We open the altar. Let's respond. Let's talk to God. If you need prayer for anything else, we'll pray for you. But let's allow the Word of the Lord to speak to our hearts. And let's make a fresh response. Stand with me as we pray, Father. Father, I want to thank You for the story of Moses' encounter. I know I can certainly relate, O God, with running ahead and falling short. I know, O God, I can relate with youthful zeal that zigged when it should have zagged in times where I wondered, Lord, where were You? I thought this was You. And now it just wound up being a a defeat. And Lord, it can tend to make us just want to recoil back to a safe place. And never step out into that place of real faith and trust. I thank you, Father, for the story of Moses. And I thank you, Lord, that because of the blood of Jesus, we can draw near to you. I thank you that one of the wonderful privileges we have as Christians is not just salvation one day, but the opportunity to have sweet communion every day. That we can draw near and really fellowship and commune with the living God. And Father, I just pray for any that are here today and they've tried. Maybe it's in their Christian walk and they really tried to live for God and things didn't work out. Now they're even gun shy with that. It might have been stepping out into a new place of being useful and being yielded to the Spirit. Maybe it's ministry of some sort and things just didn't go as they thought. I pray, O oh God, for those that have tried and fallen short. May they not allow that experience to keep them from responding to your present call and giving you their complete trust in surrender at the present time. Oh God, Father, we have all missed the mark. We have all felt the sting of meaning well. But things just didn't quite go as we thought they should. And those things can do a number on us. And those things can somehow affect us. And Lord, I pray this morning, set your people free from failures and disappointments of the past that are holding them back in the present. Bring them to that place of a fresh surrender where your fire of your presence can work a fresh work. And they can come to that place of being healed within and having a fresh trust just to rest in you and respond to you. Whatever you say to them, wherever you lead them. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, can we sing this one time through? And please pray. Seek the Lord. Talk to the Lord. The altars are open.